the, the series is this, and it's going to be a, a five-part series. And in, in between there, we're going to have a guest speaker who's, um, who's not speaking on this topic. And we're also, in the middle of that, going to have the response from the Tonga team. So when they come back, they're going to take a Sunday morning and share and impart all that they had, um, that, that they've experienced. And so we're really looking forward to that as well. But this series is going to take us through to the end of May. It's going to be a five-part series, and Bruce Billington's going to share. I'm going to share, and Carrie Muller's going to share in this one as as well. But I just, I just want to preface just a little bit with stirring your heart for what God can do. And I think, I think God can do amazing things through any portions of his word. Amen. He, he changes his heart. That's just what he does. But I think sometimes there are moments where he sets us up to get an impartation of something that changes everything. And to me, what is contained within this series is that, and I think we can get too familiar with the Word of God. I I recently heard a sermon by a friend of mine that preached in the States, and he said the foe of familiarity was his sermon title. I want to really encourage you, don't feel that you're too familiar with this topic. There may be some things. Bruce is going to open it up for us, but I I really want to encourage you. Just as we commissioned the youth right now, right, to go out, To me, this series is a commissioning of this church. There is a commissioning where it's not just Bruce and Jeanette and myself and Pete and Carrie that are doing the work of the Lord. This is a commissioning. This is a kingdom commissioning. And I want, want, if you can, to open your heart to receive the commissioning. Don't listen to the sermon to see if you like the sermon or not. Listen to the sermon to see what part of the commissioning you need to step into. Okay, this is is so on my heart that God is wanting to burst forth through his church, not just this church, but through the church, Big C. And I I want us to be a part of it. There is a sound that that I believe you're going to hear over the next uh, five or so sessions again until the end of May. Bruce is just going to open it up for us. So Bruce is just opening it wide and he's going to um, he's going to set some foundation blocks. And some of them you may have heard, but I want you to listen to them with fresh fresh ears. I want you to see with fresh eyes these concepts as if you have to live it. Because can I give you an encouragement? You do. You know, it's like one of those like airplane emergency, like when the airplane, if the airplane crashes, like you want to know what to do. Can I encourage you? There's no airplane crashing, okay? But you're going to need to use the things that we're talking about. This is not theory this morning. This is setting a foundation for where we're going to go in, the, in this series, okay? So can we, I just welcome you up, Bruce. So appreciate what he carries. And just a really quick note on new. So what this is, this, the title of the series is this. New is greater than, better, a series on the kingdom. And we're going to be looking at this difference that God hasn't called us to be better than others. He hasn't called us, he's called us to be completely different, completely brand new. And that's what we're going to, we're going to dive into. So Bruce, I release you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. I was, um, and I was up very early in the morning in 1981, and I really had an encounter with the Lord over the whole thing of the kingdom of God, and it was such, it was very brief and fleeting, but it was such that I have spent 40 years of my life pursuing, and as long as I can, I will continue to do that. So I am very excited about um, being able to be part of bringing the series here. Uh, it's almost without exception that theologians worldwide agree that the main emphasis in the teaching of both Jesus and Paul is the kingdom of God. 
So what makes this subject so important? And I want to get into that um, straight away this morning. So let's start here. 600 years before the coming of the Messiah, before the coming of Jesus, Daniel prophesied the prophecies in Daniel 2.44. And it says this, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. And this kingdom, this very kingdom, is the kingdom that Jesus came preaching. And at the beginning of his ministry on earth, he announced the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So we need to understand that in his first coming, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God just as Daniel prophesied. And everything set up against his kingdom will be crushed and destroyed. And this is real time now. History has proved this over and over again. I don't have the time to go all the way through 2,000 years of it, but we can go all the way back to the fall of the great Roman Empire and the 5th century, or more recently to the fall of Hitler's Third Reich and the fall of communism where the Berlin Wall came down in one day in 1989, and on and on it goes. How come? Because God decreed through Daniel that anything that is identified as a kingdom on this earth since the time of Christ immediately signs its death warrant. Anything that is established as a kingdom outside of the kingdom of God, immediately signs its death warrant because God will not share or tolerate any opposition to his kingdom. This is not futuristic. This happens in this present age. It's been happening for 2,000 years, and I'm not going to go through what they are or what they might be, but if you see anything today that reflects the A kingdom in itself, it's doomed. It can't last. The kingdom of God will eventually crush it. Now, it may take time. It took 150 years to crush communism, but it was doomed the minute it became a kingdom because the kingdom of God has been empowered to crush anything set up to it. So the whole of the universe and everything in it, including us, can only function properly and find its true destiny in Christ and in the pursuit of his kingdom. And this is what we're called to. Why? Because the image of the invisible God and all things that are of any value came into being through and because of and in Christ. See, we are designed to be working with Jesus and bringing his kingdom to life here on this earth. That's your calling and my calling, and that's the calling of every true born-again Christian. There are no exceptions. It doesn't mean we all do it or we all sign up for it, but we all have that calling. And it's the issue that we need to grasp 
about the kingdom of God, and I'll give you some definitions of it, and I'll come with some of that. But the issue that we need to grasp about the kingdom of God means that if anything is set up that is not under the pattern and obedience and faithfulness to the kingdom of God, God will come and destroy it. I live in the utter belief of Hebrews 12, where God said he himself will shake everything that can be shaken. Everything. This is real time today. So it's in the context of this message that Jesus made the most radical proposal ever made to humanity. And here it is. He proposed that we could and that we should replace the present world order with God's order, which is the kingdom of God. And if we sign up to do that, he will equip us with the power and the resources that we need. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. Now, no individual can do it. It's got to be done through community and through collective people who have all bowed the need to Christ. But we have to understand, as Jesse's already said, in regard to this kingdom, we are not called just to do things better. The non-Christian world does many amazing things. And we are not called, and it would be hard in many ways to find ways to better of it, to better it, and the way that they do things. And God acknowledged this at the Tower of Babel. He looked at the tower and he said, that is absolutely amazing. There is nothing that man cannot do. And then what did he do? Tore it down. We need to hear that. There is nothing man cannot do. We can send rockets to the moon. We can do all sorts of amazing things. And God looked at the Tower of Babel and said, what an amazing structure. There is nothing man cannot do. Then he tore it down and scattered the people. See, we are called to enter into and demonstrate a whole new way of life that is unique. It is not better necessarily. Look, I'm going to say this. In all my travels in my life, I'm 66 years old. I have yet to see a marriage better than my parents. And they were not believers. I've yet to see a man who treated his wife better than my father. I've yet to see a woman who honoured her husband and built family better than my mother. And they didn't know Jesus. See, we're not called to do things better, brothers and sisters, because when it comes to marriage, we're called to reflect something very different. Very unique, a whole new way. way. Our marriage is meant to reflect the relationship being Christ and the church. And I am sorry to admit this, guys, but I hear this taught in very, very few Christian marriage seminars. How can that be? That's our edge, if you want to use that term. It's not about doing things better necessarily. We do it new and different because it's patterned from above, and we'll get to that. So here we come into a message, and the fact that to call this vision, the vision of the kingdom of God, immense, is an understatement. 
However, the challenge for you and me is not the enormity of it. The challenge becomes because of the cost of it. When God, I had an encounter with God, I got so excited, I did something. It was half past five in the morning, I jumped up and I raced off to wake my wife up, who is not a morning person at all. It's something I would know better to ever do and tell her all about it. And I was running out the room to try and explain to her what I had saw, and I felt a hand grab my arm. Now, there was nothing visible that I saw. I had an encounter. A hand grabbed my arm and said, yes, Bruce, but can you pay the cost? I now know what that meant to some degree. I didn't then. I pushed past and said, I'll pay anything for this. I had no idea what that would mean as I got into this journey. And this is the problem why the kingdom message is not popular and not mainstream because it's the pearl of great price that requires the sacrifice of all other pearls to get it. It's built on the upside down and inside out concepts such as the last shall be first. He who serves leads. You have to lose your life to gain it. This is not popular in mainstream Christianity at all. The true kingdom doesn't fit our much-proclaimed Western version of Christianity. But far more importantly comes the understanding that long-term, brothers and sisters, neither will it accommodate it. God will tolerate a lot of things. He's God. He's full of grace but he won't tolerate anything long-term that is set up and not a reflection of his kingdom. The other thing why it's not popular, because it doesn't promise any unlimited flow of God's material or physical rewards this side of eternity. It doesn't. And this is something the humanistic view of the gospel which is all too prevalent today, refuses to accept. There is no scripture that promises you a material blessing all the rest of your life or unblemished health all the rest of your life. And we could go on through the list, flash TV and cars and houses and anything else you want to name, entertainment, all those things. There is no scripture that is promising that for us this side of eternity. And I'll debate that anywhere with anybody using the Bible. See, the rewards of pursuing the kingdom and signing up for the kingdom and getting on this journey are about coming into maturity and making us more Christ-like. And guys, this isn't even quantifiable. It's not going to fill your pockets with money or blessings, or all sorts of other things like that. See, the crunch point of the kingdom is that it ultimately upsets everything that doesn't conform to it. And I want to now make this personal. See, the kingdom upsets our current life, and I'm talking here about born-again believers, to bring it up on another level. So if I build a great marriage and I build a great business on foundations that are not part of the kingdom, then 
God himself through the Holy Spirit is going to come along and pull them down. You need to hear this. If I build to the pattern in my marriage that my father and mother did, which I honor incredibly, I have learned so much through that, which my wife Linda is a recipient of. You can ask her about it later. But if I build to that pattern, God's not saying, Bruce, this isn't good enough. God's saying, Bruce, you are not reflecting the marriage of Christ to his bride, which Ephesians 5 requires, and you need to learn to do this, or I'll come and pull down what you are building. It doesn't matter how good you think it looks. That's why the message is not popular. See, if I build a business that's successful and making a good profit and based on good law-abiding laws and it's not on the foundation that God wants a business to express in the Bible, I teach at Christian business seminars all over the world. I know what the scriptures say about business and economics and the kingdom of God. And if we build a business that doesn't reflect that, God says he will be coming to tear it down. We don't have to worry about the enemy. God's going to do it. Let me give you an example. So here we have Moses. And he has a long debate with God about, I'm not going to see Pharaoh. I'm not equipped. I can't speak. I can't do these things. He pushes God to the limit. And God gets very angry. And finally, Moses concedes. All right, I'll do it. And God says, I'll put Aaron with you and he'll do it. So Moses is now on his way. Now let me take a minute to set the context. Moses didn't want to do it, was hoping God would find somebody else, was not a volunteer. Finally, God gets him to agree, and so off he goes. So let's come to Exodus 4, 24 to 25. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way. Now where is Moses on the way? He's on the way to do what God has called him to do, to go and approach Pharaoh. On the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. What? He's finally obedient. He's finally doing it. And God tries to kill him. Now, we know when we say God tries, we're speaking relatively. If God wants to kill anyone, they're gone. Then Zipporah took a flinch. That's Moses' wife, a non-believer, what we would call a non-Christian today. Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet and said, You are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he, God that is, let him alone... And at the time she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now this is crazy. God's finally got Moses to do it. Then he's about to take him out. Why? Because Moses didn't follow God's way. Moses wasn't doing things according to the pattern of life God required of him. Moses didn't circumcise his son after seven days, which the law teaches back in those days you must do. And God is prepared to take Moses right out. Why? 
because Moses is not doing things the way God wants him. And if we don't do things the way God wants him, God will tear down what we are building. And it doesn't matter how sanctified you may think it is, it won't stand the shaking. Listen to Jesus preaching this. He comes to the Jewish leaders, Matthew 21, 43 to 44. And he says this. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. What does God do? He takes the kingdom of God. He takes what we are building and establishing. He takes what we are doing away from us if it doesn't reflect his kingdom and he gives it to people who are building something that does reflect it. And in verse 44, he says, and he who falls on the stone, this is tough. This is really tough. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but on whoever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. What does that verse mean? It means if you sign up for the kingdom journey, If you sign up and say, Lord, make me a part of it, God says, I will break you to get out of you what needs to get out and get into you what needs to get in. I will break you. But then he says, but on whomever it falls, that's the people who don't sign up for it, I will scatter him like dust. Now, this is not talking about salvation, brothers and sisters. You can fit all of that in wherever you will. Jesus is saying this. If you want to sign up for this message, it will break you. It will cost you your life. But if you don't sign up for it, most of what you do will be an exercise in futility, and I'll blow it away. I, uh, so the point is, watch worse. And I think it's obvious. Let's get broken and lay hold of this kingdom. See, the kingdom goes to those who produce the fruit of it. And as Hebrews 12, which we've already covered, says, the kingdom shakes everything that can be shaken. So here's the choice. If you embrace it, it will break all your worldly ways from you. And if you don't, it will scatter your works like dust. So... I reluctantly took the first choice. See, if you want a portion of the kingdom, you've got to give your all to Jesus. And you've got to prove yourself faithful and obedient to his call. And this is not only corrective, guys, because God is not sin-focused. I wish we would get it out of our heads and our minds and our teaching and our preaching that God is the don't guy. Don't do this and don't do that. God is not sin-focused at all. Why God comes after our sin is because it separates us from him and he wants to have a relationship from him, with him because he's the do person. The kingdom brings dry bones into life, yours and mine. It brings religion into reality. 
and it empowers that to reality so that we can lay hold of the kingdom by force. Why do we have to lay hold of the kingdom by force? Because much of what God intended us to have is being held illegally by the enemy and we have to fight to take it back. And we do this, obviously, by being empowered by the Spirit and the Word of God. The teaching is so bad in Matthew 16 when it talks about the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we think, well, we're going to build something that the gates of hell, that, that will withstand the attacks of hell. Listen, God doesn't build gates and God doesn't build forts. The, the scripture teaches this. Satan will build a fence and gates around all the things he's stolen and has a legal possession of, and if we lay hold of the kingdom and are prepared to take it by force, those gates won't keep us out. We will plunder his territory and take back what rightfully belongs to us in Christ. That's what that scripture means. And it's time we rose up and realized what it means. We're not called to be in forts. We're called to be out into the world, out in Tonga, out in all those places, empowered by the Holy Spirit, changing and transforming life and bringing the reality of the kingdom right here on earth and all systems and places of life that it can reflect. See, although it's inadequate, see... People often say, just give me one sentence definition of the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus gave us 51 alone in his gospel, so don't bother trying. But a sentence offers you, often used to describe the kingdom of God and does give its goals is this. It says it's to see the rule and reign of Christ come into every sphere of life. And it's found in Hebrews 6 where it talks about bringing heaven onto earth or bringing the life of the age to come into the here and now. And it's important to understand that Jesus Christ rules and reigns over every area of life now, today. The victory's already been won for us. What we're called to do is go out and lay hold of it. Psalm 145.13 says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Full stop, end of sentence, end of story. We just need to lay hold of it. So we can look out in the world and say, Oh, you've got to be joking. There's no evidence of this kingdom out there. And firstly, there is, and we're looking at the wrong places. But it's the wrong question. Where is the evidence of the kingdom? It's the wrong question. Jesus said in Luke 17, 20, now having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he went, eh, wrong question. He answered and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is already right in your midst. It's already here, it's amongst you, and it's within you. You don't look to see it, you go out and express it, and it brings change and it brings transformation. Not only that, but it crushes everything raised up against it because it's been empowered to do that by God. 
It's about who God is and what he's already demonstrated. It's what every born-again, spirit-filled believer has living inside of them. And that's the essence of the Christian faith. That is it. So what is it meant to look like? Well, Jesus stated in John 17 that we are not of this world, but we are in it. And herein lies a problem. We think the world is our place of reality, and it's not. Colossians 3 said, We have been raised up and seated in heavenly places with Christ. It is written in the past tense. Our place of reality is the heavenly realm. And this is where we draw all that we need for this life. See, we are left in this world for whatever time we are given to be or to produce a demonstration of the kingdom of God. And so here it goes again at the risk of repeating myself. If the world wants to know what marriage should look like, they are meant to see it in ours. And they're meant to see a reflection of Christ and his church. I can't unpack that now. Because no non-Christian can produce that. My parents, as wonderful as they are, didn't know Jesus, so they couldn't produce that. They couldn't be an example of that to me. Because you've got to draw it from another place of life. And only Christians can access that place. It's got to be drawn from the throne room of God. And unless you approach the throne room of God with the, uh, covered by the blood of Jesus, you'll be wiped out. So it can't be accessed. If our world wants to reward an outstanding employer or employee, they will be able to find one or many. You see that program on TV about great business people and and all of those things, how they've been wonderful employers. McDonald's, I haven't been to McDonald's for years, but they used to put up a picture of the employee of the week. They may still do the same thing. There is plenty of wonderful employers and employees out there, but this is not our goal. This is not what you and I are called to. If you get the award from McDonald's, wherever you work, for the employee of the week, more power to you. That's wonderful. But that's not what God is about. What God wants us to do, what we are empowered to do, is be unique and different and demonstrate something the world cannot produce in the workplace because it takes the Holy Spirit to produce it because it's drawn from another life, another way of life, another place that the world doesn't have access to. And this is what people are meant to see when we can show up and when we show up in whatever sphere God's called us to. I've referred to the power base. I've preached on this before, but let's read it again. I want to focus really on verse 4. 2 Peter verse 1, 3 and 1, 4, and it says this. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, past tense, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. And here we go in verse 4. What for? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped 
the corruption that is in the world by lust. These things are given to us. Why? Because we can become partakers of the divine nature. Why? Because we can start expressing the divine nature into every aspect of our life. And that cannot be seen, cannot be imitated, or cannot be copied by anybody who doesn't have access to the divine nature and you have to be born again to get access to that. We have to grasp the fact that we live in the age to come and we bring it and draw from it and bring it into the here and now. And look, guys, the same applies to our morality and our ethical views and our views on abortion and euthanasia and our understanding of ecology and our treatment of the animal kingdom. These things do not rest on our opinion. If we are true disciples of Christ, we are not allowed to have an opinion that contradicts God's word. We're not allowed to. I couldn't care anymore what people think outside of the word of God. I listened to enough of that before I knew him. I studied enough of it before I knew him. I couldn't care what I think about it. The issue is, what does God's word say? And if we follow this into some of the other things that are floating around, I could get ugly, so I'm going to leave that alone, at least for this morning. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what it may look like. It matters that God decreed it and God will empower it. And if we try and build our life on any form or foundation that contradicts the word of God, he himself will come and pull it down. Everything we do should stand out from the way the world does it. If not, the Easter experience has been in vain. I frustrate a lot of people. I know that there's probably some in this room. When they come to me and they say, we've got a great idea and we should do this and that, and I say, well, I'm not interested. And they say, why not? And I say, because in my opinion, that doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. And if we do establish it and it doesn't reflect the kingdom of God, God's going to come and pull it down and I don't want to give my time and my energy to anything that God's going to come and pull down. And we could do a huge issue now between humanism in the body of Christ and the true gospel and the calling of the kingdom and what it is. We may get away with some of those things for a while. We may think they're flourishing for a while, but eventually God himself is going to tear them down. This is where I finish. We talk about being born again. It's significant that the Greek word translated as again is a word anathen. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it literally means born from above. The word doesn't mean born again. It means born from above. If we are born from above, we draw our source of life from the heavenly realm and we bring it down to the earthly realm to empower transformation. Our time's gone. There's much more to say, which we'll continue to do in the weeks to come. Let me finish with this. If you want a truly fulfilled life, 
that is the life put us on earth, Christ put us on earth to live. The best advice scripture gives and is, is in Matthew 6, 33, where it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's reach out and lay hold of this great lifetime journey and be a demonstration of it every day of our lives. Far more to come in the weeks to come, guys. God bless you. Thank you.